Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity that we have to, again, open up, open up your word, Lord, and not just read, but Lord, where we can, we can fellowship with you, we can interact with you. God, I thank you for raising up men to write these things down, to, to get them on paper so that, Lord, we can continually remind ourselves of who you are and who we are. And I pray that as we uh, begin this whole new study and, and uh, looking at the epistles that, that Paul wrote while he was in prison, that, that God, it would bless us, it would encourage us, it would strengthen us. And I pray that we would have insight, Lord, for our own lives. So bless this time, God. Open up our hearts that we would receive from you. And, and Lord, that we could leave here just encouraged in our faith, strengthened as men and women who want to walk with you, even if, if the world around us seems so chaotic and mixed up and crazy. The great thing that we have is this relationship with you. And you're the solid rock in our lives. So again, bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I was thinking as I was studying and getting ready for this of all the stuff that's going on in our world and, and even some of the uh, injustice and different things going on. How crazy is it that there was a guy in the early 60s, not 1960s, but AD 60 who was sitting in a prison and sitting in a prison where he shouldn't be because he was completely innocent. And he's sitting there and instead of gathering a bunch of people, instead of protesting, instead of getting angry, instead of getting mad, he decided to write some letters. And he wrote four different letters. And he sent them out he didn't get to take them, he sent them out. And I just find that fascinating if we just sit and just think about that. He's accused unjustly, it's unfair. Everything about this is unfair. And in these letters, check this out, you're not gonna hear a word of it. Here's what you're gonna hear is who we are in Christ, of what God has done for us of how faithful our God is, is how good our God is, and how our relationship with him changes everything. And you know, that's my prayer for our culture, for where we're at today in this country, is that we would listen to what God has and not try and listen to what the world is telling us. So Paul sent these out. Now, I, I did write down, because I think it's kind of fun when you think about it. So he sent four guys out, and we don't even really, uh, you know, I gotta be honest, I haven't really ever sat and thought about, these guys were there in Rome with Paul, and he says, hey, can you guys carry these letters for me? And, you know, our little graphic has this little bundle, but they weren't all bundled together. He gave a letter to each person. And there's four different guys who go out, and I think these letters were pretty much all written at the same time. So you have Tychicus, who was from Ephesus, and he takes off, and he goes back to Ephesus. Then you have Epaphroditus, who is from Philippi, who he takes the letter to the Philippians. And then you have Epaphras, who is from Colossae, and he takes the letter. Then you have that, then you have that guy, Onesimus. Onesimus is kind of one of my heroes. Onesimus was messed up. He was messed up royally. And he kind of ripped off this guy, Philemon. And Paul, listen, Paul connects with him in prison, and he goes, I got an idea. 
Why don't you take this letter back to Philemon and we'll see what happens now. Again, think of all that. So, and I'm just doing all of this so we understand something. Ephesians wasn't written in a vacuum. It wasn't written by somebody who's sitting in an ivory tower saying, hey, I'm going to give out some tremendous theological principles and I'm going to say some things that are going to blow some people's minds, going to make some people mad. I'm going to come up with some theology that's going to freak them out. It's not that. It's a guy sitting in prison saying to the saints, you need to be encouraged, you need to be strong, you need to understand who you are in Christ. And I think especially of Ephesus. In Ephesus, Ephesus, there was a little bit of a problem going on. You see, the Jews and even some of the Jewish Christians, quote, Judaizers are coming against the Christians. There's a little bit of, quote, little bit of ethnic or racial tension going on. Sort of interesting, isn't it? What does Paul say? He says, hey, you guys, You need to know who you are in Christ. That's what's important. So that's kind of the background that we're going to be looking at. Now, Paul, what's fascinating in these first few verses is Paul brings up the whole doctrine of election and predestination that, like, freaked people out. And again, I don't think he was in some ivory tower going, watch this. I think he was in a prison cell, and he goes, watch this. But here's what I love. He writes this in such a way, and this just shows me that the Bible really is written by God. He writes it in such a way where he doesn't explain everything. Here's what he says. Here's who you are. Here's what God has done. Here's what you have done. And let's move on. Because it's truth. So he's going to lay out some truths that that some of us we get real upset with and we don't like. But then he lays out the truth of how rich we are in Christ. I read a couple stories, a couple different stories. Uh, uh, Two people died in this room of starvation and malnutrition. And yet, when they went in a room, they found over $40,000 stuffed away. And then there's a lady, I'm sure a lot of us heard, this is an old story. Her name was Hetty Green. She was worth $100 million when she died. Her son lost a leg because she was trying to find the cheapest doctor to go to, and he lost a leg. She died because she was having an argument over somebody about the values of skimmed milk versus whole milk and how much cheaper it was. $100 million. Now, listen, all of that's material. How many of us never, ever tap in to the riches that we have in Christ? Wow. I'm not talking about materially. I'm talking about spiritually. Some of us, we struggle spiritually. We have a hard time. We have a difficult time. Do you know? Well, I don't want to get ahead, but I'll give you a hint. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Wow. That's intense. So, Paul, Paul's starting here. And again, I hope this time blesses you. I hope we're encouraged as we read this. And Paul's starting here. Notice what he says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, who's in prison, and I hate it here, and I need somebody to come and break me out. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you expect him to at least bring it up, at least say, hey, guys, I'm in jail, man, and I don't deserve to be here. But that's not there, is it? He says, "Who, who is he? Number one, he doesn't identify as a prisoner. What does he identify as? 
an apostle of Jesus Christ. Here's what blows my mind. He doesn't care whether he's in prison or in a pulpit. He's still an apostle. He's been called by God, that's settled, that's done, and he knows who he is, and I think that's important for us because, listen, I read this, and you know, a lot of people say he's declaring this for, for his apostolic authority to write to the Ephesians, and I sort of get that, but I think it's greater than that. I think here's what he's doing. He's recognizing and he's identifying with who he is in Christ, and if more of us would do that and walk in that and believe that, then, hey, our world would change. I'm not saying you're gonna change the world. Your worldview will change. And Paul had that heart, man. He's an apostle by the will of God. Listen, he's not an apostle because Paul wanted to be an apostle necessarily. He's an apostle by the will of God. He's not an apostle because a board got together someplace and apostolized him. I think that's a word. He's not there because of man's appointment. He's there because that's who God has put him. Christian, let's just start there. Are you where God wants you? Are you convinced you're where God wants you? I'm not talking about everybody has to be in some kind of, quote, full-time ministry. Are you, are you convinced this is where God wants me and I'm there? And you identify, listen, you identify with the way God has gifted you, the way he's put you together, the way he's assembled you, and that's who you are because this is what I love about Paul. And then, who's he writing to? I love this part, right? To the saints who are in Ephesus. Have you ever looked up the word saint in the dictionary? The dictionary has it all messed up. The dictionary says a saint is the person who lived a very great life and you know, it goes on. Do you know who a saint is? A saint is somebody who Jesus saved by grace and we're all saints. And saint, here's what saint basically means. Different, unique, set apart. That's who we are. I, once a year, definitely recognize my sainthood. It's on March 17th when it's St. Patrick's Day. And the whole, the whole world stops and celebrates me. It's exciting. But listen, we're saints, and we need to understand. I love that fact. And again, think about Paul. Here's what I see. Starting early, early in Ephesians, He's building bridges, not walls. Because there's a dilemma going on that we're gonna get into towards the middle of the letter that is intense between the Jews and the Christians, the Judaizers and the believers. And, and Paul's building that wall, and right now he says, hey, you guys are saints, and not only are you saints, but he says to the saints who are in Ephesus, by the way, some of your translations may not have in Ephesus, some people make a big deal out of that. Maybe it was there, maybe it wasn't. Most people say that this letter was meant to be more circulated in that whole area of Turkey, of Asia Minor. That's where all of this has taken place. And, and uh, I, I, I don't care if it's there or not, but I'm gonna read it like it's there. Who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now listen, he's not writing to two groups. He's not writing to the saints and to those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. He's writing to those who are saints and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Same group, just kind of two different designations that, that we need to know who we are in Christ 
And then he gives his customary greeting, grace, and peace, or grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The kind of, I love, Chuck Smith always called this the, uh, the Siamese twins of Paul's greeting, that grace goes with peace. You can't have God's peace without God's grace. And, and I, I think a lot of us know that. And, and so, you know, it was kind of customary, but I think Paul kind of just takes it up a level. And he's not just saying, you know, grace like we say hello or bless you or something that just flows out. I think he's really wanting these people to understand that God's grace, you know, this grace is from our God, our Father, and this peace comes because of his grace. And again, someone from prison putting this out to people who aren't in prison, you would expect it to go the other direction, right? They should be wishing him grace and peace in his circumstance, but he's wishing them. And then he says, and again, he kind of keeps the whole Trinity thing going. He'll, he'll bring it up again, kind of covertly, but grace and peace from, our, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I circled the word our, because here he is, he's bringing two groups together. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bring each other together, not, not point fingers, not say you're wrong, I'm right, or I'm wrong and you're right. We're to come together, God our Father. Now, in verse three, starts a sentence that goes all the way to verse 14 in the Greek. It's one long sentence. Don't you think Paul would have gotten trouble in English class? or grammar class, I guess he would have been in Greek class. But talk about a guy doing run-on sentences. You know, he just like goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And it's kind of like, take a breath, dude. So I want to read all the way to 14. We're not going to study all the way to 14 tonight because we'd have to put on like, or stay late, but we're not going to get there. But I want to read all the way so we kind of get the idea. He says, starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, I turned like five pages here, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accept, accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times that he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that he who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom you, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased, uh, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Woo! I mean, you read that, how could you not get excited? This is who we are, and he's defining who we are, and he's given us that. And, you know, I think way too many of us, we read that and go, yeah, okay. No, that's truth. The problem is, a lot of us read it, we believe it here, but we don't believe it here. Or even a little bit of it trickles down here, but we don't begin to walk it. I read that, I gotta be honest, I read that and I'm thinking, do you guys ever pray when it gets kind of weird that Jesus would come back? Been praying that a lot lately, huh? (laughs) But listen, he doesn't have to come back for heaven to be real. Here's what he tells us, he starts this long, 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 sentence with this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, notice the us there, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Man, do you believe that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing? Not not future, right now. Right now, every spiritual blessing is at your disposal in Christ. And to me, that's like, if we're not tapping into that, if we're not living that, if we're not allowing that to govern us, it's kind of like the lady with $100 million that lets her son's leg get cut off because she doesn't want to spend $20. Saints, we have every spiritual blessing blessing in Christ that's so important I think for us to get a hold of especially in the world that we live in in what's going on in our society and our culture and the way things are kind of starting to crumble and fall apart we need to know that we Christians that means all of us no matter what ethnicity, no matter what race, no matter what background, we have all been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Let's start walking in that. Let's start living that, man. I read that and here's what I think. I am so rich. I have everything at my disposal I need to not sin, to not blow it, to live a godly life, to glorify my God and bless others. Everything is there. All I have to do is walk in it and believe him. And then I love the idea that he starts out. Now, now that's kind of the end of, of, of that thought, but he starts out with, hey, let's bless God because that's true. I think a lot of us don't bless God because we don't believe the end of that. We're not blessing God because we don't really believe that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So we just kind of like God. Some of us even take God and we kind of like the whole idea of keeping him on a shelf and bringing him down only when we need him, only when we need certain things. We want, you know, we want God to be real when our life is crumbling in front. Oh God, I need this. And then we go through days, weeks, months without praying, without hanging out with him, without talking to him because we don't really need him. But then we need him and it's, oh God, 
We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I, I think, you know what, I think as you read Ephesians, Ephesians is one of those books that, you know, like some books build and build and build. Like in Galatians right now, we're like at the, we're like at the top, right? And we're looking at, yes! Ephesians starts at the peak and he gets all the way to the top, man. He just like rockets up there. He gets in an Elon Musk SpaceX and boom, he's at the top and he's going, hey, you guys, we need to bless God because our Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, some of you go, see, it's in the heavenly places. Can't you have heaven now? I believe that's in there because some people will read this and they want new cars, new houses, new rings, new clothes, new this, and you know, we think of that as blessing. I think of that stuff as just add-ons. Blessing is what he does spiritually. And so we have that, and, and then now, listen, Paul, Paul kind of is there, and then he goes, oh, but how did we get to the place, and I think this is what's important, how do we get to the place where in Christ, we have every, every spiritual blessing, not some, not a few, every, how did that happen? Well, as he continues on, and here's the part where it gets a little sticky, gets a little bit tricky here, People get a little bit freaked out. He says that we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, or the in love could go with verse five. Here's what's kind of crazy is, is the way he writes this, you're not sure. And remember, verse breaks are not inspired by God. But we get into this thing about chosen. As we get into this thing about chosen, that's a place where some of us get real uptight. And we get a little bit freaked out. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me when we talk about it, it can be the doctrine of election. And again, I don't think Paul's thinking about doctrine necessarily. I think he's trying to explain who we are. But we want to get into these long theological debates, arguments, if you will. Sometimes they get a bit stiff, right? If you've been in any of them. And how do we figure this out? And here's what sort of blows my mind. I think there's a, there's a paradox and antinomy, whatever you want to call it, going on that we will never figure out. We need to know something. You and I, we're finite. We can only go so far. God's infinite. And I'm sort of glad that I can't figure God out. Because if I could figure God out, that would make me equal with God. My God's so big, I can't figure him out. I gotta be honest. And there's certain things that come up, certain ways that things are written, that sometimes you just like, you're scratching your head and you're trying to figure it out. And some things are hard because of who we are, because of our human nature. And one of those things is election. One of those things is God chose, and people go, no, 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 no. He didn't choose individuals. He chose us as a church to be a certain way. I kind of understand that argument, although he sure seems to make it personal. 
And he sure seems to talk that way. So I understand that argument, and that argument's fine. But the big thing is, how can we ever understand this whole idea? Because didn't I choose God? Didn't I make a choice to follow God? Well, if you're born again, you did. If you didn't make that choice, you're not born again. If you, you, don't get, you don't get saved by osmosis. You don't get saved by generation because your mom and dad were Christians, whatever. So you did have to make a choice. And then people go, well, I don't understand how that works. Check this out. Neither do I. But Pat, it has to be. We, we got to explain things. Here's things. God is infinite. I can't, I can't explain some things. I love Charles Spurgeon. They asked Charles Spurgeon one time, how do you resolve the sovereignty of God in election, we can say, and the volitional choices of men, man? How can, you, how can you resolve that issue? How can you bring those two together? And he said, well, here's the thing. I don't try and resolve things between friends. I just let them dwell together. You see, there's some times where we can't, and this is one of those paradoxes. I like it. People can call them, you know, for the theology. And, and to me, that both things are true. You've got two truths here, and you can't bring them together because in our minds, they don't work. In God's mind, they work perfectly. But listen to what he says. He says that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. So some people say he chose us as a body that we should be holy and blameless before him. Again, you can go that direction, but I think there's plenty of places in scripture that talk about God choosing us. I just wrote down a couple. You can look these up later. In John chapter six, he brings up a couple times, John does, he tells us that Jesus says, whoever comes to me, he says that all that the Father gives me will come to me. In John chapter six later on, he says, no one comes unless the Father draws them. In John chapter 15, he says, you haven't chosen me, but I've chosen you. And we could go on and on. There's plenty of scripture for that. But again, doesn't make this easy. And, and, and for some of us, we're going, I don't like that because it's, listen, it's a little bit repulsive to us because a lot of us take this and we bring it into an area of evangelism. And that's not where you need to bring this. This has nothing to do with evangelism. Once again, Spurgeon. Spurgeon's a great guy to read. Someone came to Spurgeon and they go, why do you preach a gospel? Then if God chooses people, why do you preach a gospel? And he goes, well, it's pretty simple. That's how God told me to figure out who's chosen and who's not. And then he said, listen, if God said everybody who's chosen has a yellow stripe up their back, I would spend the rest of my life lifting up shirt tails to get people to Jesus, right? So don't take it into that because that's not what it was intended for. It was intended for a bunch of believers sitting in Ephesus, a city of about 200,000 people who has a world all around them and all of the temptations around them and Paul sitting in a prison uh, you know, hundreds of miles away, and he's knowing that they're being tempted. He's knowing they're being drawn towards the world because it was all around him. And he says, you guys need to know something. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus just as he 
chose you. Now, I, for one, I don't get offended by that. I like the idea that God chose me. I've thought about getting a tattoo. Chosen. I like the idea. I've, I've only been chosen for two things in my life. One was the United States Army. Didn't like that one so much. The other was Jesus. Did you ever grow up on a playground? I've talked about this before. You ever grow up on a playground and you were the one that people would choose last? I hated that man when they go, okay, come on, you're on our team. Bummer, because you're the last one. Wish I would have got to pick first and I wouldn't have to have you. That's terrible. But here's what I love is he says to us that we were chosen, check this out, that we were chosen before the foundation of the world. I kind of like that idea because here's what I know. If God would have waited till after I was born, he would have said, no way. Now again, people, you know, people take that into because Christ was chosen. And hey, if you want to do that, that's fine. If you're, if, you're, if you're that freaked out about it, it's fine. You can do that. I, I don't think you're accurate in doing that, but you can do that. But we were, listen, we were chosen, and he says that we should be holy and without blame before him. You see, because some people say if you teach election, then you're gonna teach people that it doesn't matter how they live. That's not, that's not what the doctrine of election teaches. The doctrine of election teaches that we were chosen, and we were chosen what? To be holy and blameless. And that should encourage us. I read a story about Queen Victoria. I didn't know this. I read a story of Queen Victoria when she was a little girl. No one told her that she was the next queen of England. No one told her that she was in the line because they were afraid of what, they would do, what it would do to her. And when she's like, I think she was like 10 or 11, she found out, this is who I am. And you know what? She made a vow that day to never live in such a way that it would be an embarrassment to the royal family and the royal position. Oh. You see, if you know who you are, you're not gonna live flippantly and crazy. You're gonna say, yes, I am I am his. And we're gonna read in a minute because he wanted me. Now, when we think about this and, and the dilemma, again, I, I wanna just read a little bit about a couple quotes I have about this whole uh, paradox or, or tension between the two. John MacArthur wrote this, because we cannot stand the tension of mystery or paradox or antinomy, we are inclined to adjust what the Bible teaches so that it will fit into our own systems of order and consistency. That kind of makes sense, right? We don't like that whole idea, so we try to fix it. And J.I. Packer, J.I. Packer, you guys know that I, 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 I really love the way he writes. He says, people see the, see the Bible teaches man's responsibility for his actions. They do not see how this is inconsistent or how this is consistent with the sovereign lordship of God over those actions. They are not content to let the two truths live side by side as they do in scripture, but they jump to the conclusion that in order to uphold the biblical truth of human responsibility, they're bound to reject the equally biblical and equally true doctrine of divine sovereignty and to explain away the great number of texts that teach it. So why don't we let them live together? Now, this isn't the only area. Listen carefully. 
Election's not the only area where this is paradox is going on. Let me read a couple to you. Number one, the Bible itself was written by men, but it's the word of God. How does that happen? It's a miracle, right? He didn't, hey, he didn't take Paul, stick him in a prison cell, and make him some kind of, you know, machine. Okay, write this. No, he wrote what was in his heart. How does that happen? Again, God working. Or how about the big one? To me, this is a big one. Jesus is 100% fully man, and he's 100% fully God. How does that happen? Put that in your brain and figure it out. But we can't, right? And we could go on. There's a couple more. Here's a couple more. The Christian life is lived in total commitment and, and discipline of self, yet, what does the Bible say? It's Christ doing it in us. So we could go on. So getting back to this, we're in him to be blameless, he said, to be without blame before him, holy and without blame before him. Now you could put in love there, but I, I, I drew a comma in my Bible. Do you guys ever like mark your Bibles up kind of? I remember I've shared this before. Gaynell got saved before I got saved, and then, and then when we each got our own Bible and I got a big boy's Bible, I didn't, I didn't, want, I didn't want to like mark it. You know, because it was like, this is the word of God. And I can remember saying, don't write in your Bible, it's the word of God. Don't you mark it. And she would mark hers, and sometimes she would mark mine for me because I wouldn't mark it, and we'd do things. And, 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 then, and then I finally, like, caved. I got out of my legalist status and, and caved. And now you look at my Bible like every other word's underlined or circled or there's marked. So I put a big comma there because I think that in love belongs with what's coming, not with what was just said. Or I think maybe it goes with both. So, hey, so just as he cho chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, and then we can say in love having predestined us to adoption as a son, uh, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Check this out, man. Not only did he choose us and bring us, but he predestined us to be adopted. Remember in Galatians, when we checked out that whole adoption thing, we did that study? If you don't remember, go back and listen to all of our teachings in Galatians or find that verse. But remember what adoption is all about, especially in their culture? Adoption is that person becomes part of the family, but he also becomes an heir. And if he's adopted by Christ in Christ, everything that is Christ's, is ours. Woo! Yes! And he says, you and I, listen. Now, why would you get mad about that? Here's the thing, again, we don't like that word predestination. Oh, that just freaks us out. We start getting cold sweats, and we start getting all freaked out. Take a chill pill and enjoy the fact that maybe, just maybe, God is working in your life and has brought you to the place where before you were ever born, he decided you were going to be in this place of adoption by Jesus Christ into that family as a joint heir with Christ 
and all that is Christ is yours? How could that not be good news? And he lets us know that. And now, now listen, here's what I love. He says, he says, according to the good pleasure of his will. You see, God loves us. God cares for us. And he has brought us to that place where, listen, man, he has adopted us. I read a story about a lady who was pregnant and she had her little baby and she went back to be with her parents for a little bit and had the, this new infant and she's holding this little baby and she goes, Mom, look, he has, he has dark hair and me or my husband don't have dark hair but the little baby, he's got dark hair and the mom says, well, so does your dad and she said, but Mom, I'm adopted and her mom said this, oh, yeah, I forget. Oh, isn't that a sweet story? We're adopted by God. Listen, he doesn't look at us like, oh, you're adopted. <laughs> Jesus is my real kid, but you guys are adopted. <laughs> We're in there. That should make us feel, listen, every time I read, after I, I did research on adoption and and especially in the first century, every time I read that, I get so excited that that's a reality about us. That's a truth about us. Not only are we blessed with every spiritual blessing, not only are we saints, not only are we faithful, not only are we chosen to be holy and, and without blame, we're adopted into that family, and we're part of that family, and God did it for this reason. Because he loves me. You know what that means? Listen, if it's according to his will, you know what that means? It doesn't depend on me. Like, I don't have to be this super good person to stay in good standing with God. You guys may have your walks together and have it perfect. I struggle. And if I wasn't sure that God loved me, that God chose me, that God adopted me, I would be really concerned at times about my salvation. But since I know all of that is true, I'm secure in Christ as I walk with Christ. And here's what Paul is trying to get that group in Ephesus. They're messed up. Do your research, man. They're a messed up bunch of people. The world is coming in around them. They live in a city that was known for all the resorts and all the gambling and all the stuff going on. And here they are, man, that's creeping in. And Paul goes, hey, you guys, quit looking at that because doesn't the world kind of draw us at times? Come on. Am I the only person in here? that gets kind of drawn by the world. Come on, it draws on us. And he says, get your eyes off of that and get your eyes on who you are. Do you know we have a dual citizenship? I've always wanted a dual citizenship. Like I've always thought how cool it would be to have two passports. Well, I'd like to have like a dozen, but two would be good. And I've always thought about how good it would be. And, and I'm a dual citizen, but the problem is heaven doesn't give me a passport. Maybe I'll apply for, maybe I'll make one. Show that at the border, from heaven. But we're dual citizens, that's who we are. And then listen, it's according to his, the pleasure of his will, to the praise, look at the end, we're gonna wrap it up here. Some of you I know are looking at your watches. Stop that when I'm teaching. That's rude. I don't like look at the watch when you're doing stuff. 
to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Yes! God made us accepted. We didn't do something. You, you did not do something fantastic to get into this family. God did something impossible to bring you into the family. And he brings you into the family, and listen, man, it's according to his will, and it's to the praise and the glory of his grace, which he made us, in which, or by which he made us. It's the grace of God that made us acceptable. It's not because you're a good person. It's not because you read your Bible. It's not because you pray. It's not because you go to church. It's not because you, you, know, uh, you don't cuss, and you don't chew, and you don't go with the girls who do, and all of that stuff. It's because Jesus has done something for you, and you're changed. And I believe with all my heart, when we begin to understand we're changed on the inside, that's when we will begin to live life differently. That's when we're gonna begin to live life like we belong someplace, like we really are citizens of heaven. When I think about I'm a citizen of heaven, I don't wanna do anything to embarrass heaven. I don't want like the angels to look at me and go, doofus. Who let you in here? I want to, listen, I want to live a life that brings honor and glory to my God, but also my, my place of citizenship, just like in America. I don't want to do things to embarrass my country. I don't want to be that person. I definitely don't want to be that person for my Lord. And he says, that's who we are. So listen carefully. He's taking these people in Ephesus. And remember, once again, I want to bring it up over and over. He's in prison. It stinks right now for him. Have you heard him whine? Have you heard of him being a victim? I'm a victim. Stupid people in Jerusalem. He's not doing any of that. What's he doing? He's glorifying God and he's pushing others to get to the place where they will glorify God. That's what it's all about, saints. I said last weekend, I'll say tonight, I'll probably say again this weekend, we wanna fix things, then let's start living lives that glorify God. And let's start exalting him. And let's start believing who we are in Christ. Let's be some Ephesians who got this letter. Can you imagine someone in Ephesus are getting this letter and they're, for the first time they're reading it? Check this out. They weren't all caught up in all of the theological debates and all of the things that can't get settled for, for the last two millenniums have been argued and fought over and split and spit at and kicked and hated and all of that. They didn't have any of that. They got this letter and they went, whoa, that's who we are in Christ? Yes, let's walk in that. And that's where we should be. Oh, but instead, I can read some of your minds, man. You're like churning right there. <laughs> And you're all freaked out. And you know what? You can be freaked out. I don't care. I want to I live a life that brings him honor. I want to live a life that brings him glory as I walk with him. So saints, let's rise up. Let's be men and women who honor our God with every breath that we have. Let's stand up and, and pray. Father, I do thank you. I thank you, God, for your grace in our lives. 
I thank you for the truth of your word and even, even Lord, even the parts of your word that kind of rub us the wrong way and get us going and, and Lord, just even for some of us, bum us out. And God, I do pray, I pray for myself, I pray for others that we, even tonight as we go home, that we would meditate on these scriptures. Maybe as we drive home in the car, that we would encourage one another with these words of who we are in Christ. As families, maybe just sit and, 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 and tell each other, this is who you are in Christ. And we would begin to honor and glorify you with this thing we call life. Thank you, God, that you don't leave us wondering, that you don't leave us wandering on our own, that you take a man who's sitting behind bars and give him this incredible insight into writing a truth into our lives so that we ourselves don't begin to feel sorry for ourselves and worry about our position and worry about who we are, but we would understand who we are in Christ and we would live that and walk that. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And man, tonight if you're here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, Maybe even if you're here tonight and, and you kind of struggle with this whole man chosen thing and you're even wondering if he chose you, then I know of the best way to find out and it's not lifting up your shirt. The best way to find out is for you to call on the name of the Lord. Because the Bible says if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And here's the cool thing. It says whoever calls on the name of the Lord. So I may be speaking this to you even in the midst of your struggle right now. If you want to have a relationship with Jesus, then I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and the prayer's gonna be pretty simple. You're gonna admit to God that you know you're a sinner. You're gonna thank him for dying for your sin. You're gonna ask him to come into your life. And here's the cool thing, you will be born again at that point you will be changed. And if you wanna do that, man, say this prayer with me. If you're watching at home and God is, is impressing on your heart, say this prayer and let him speak to your heart. Jesus, tonight, I confess to you, God, that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. Right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. And right now, I wanna ask you to come into my heart and change me. I want you to come into my life and guide me. Tonight, I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.